Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Well, I was going to start out by saying here we are, the few, the proud, the honorary Albertans. But there's a lot of people here. So I will say this, whether you're online or one of the honorary Albertans that's here today, I'm just glad to be with you. John chapter 6, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world, the most famous lunch in all of human history. It's serving as the centerpiece of this three-part seasonal series. Last week, we talked about the fact that the crowd, there was 20,000 people there, including women and children, that that crowd really, really needed wonder, just like you and I do. And this Friday and Saturday at our Christmas services, I want to talk about the fact that that little boy, don't miss these Christmas services, because I want to look at this story from the perspective of the little boy who brought five small loaves and two fish, and what he really, really needed was hope, just like you and me. But today I want to talk about the fact that Jesus' disciples were really, really looking for peace, just like you and me. This is the time of the year you hear a lot of people say, peace on earth, peace on earth. Well, I don't see it. I grew up in the 1980s during a time in history known as the Cold War. Brief summary of the Cold War, the world was divided into two camps. The capitalist camp led by the United States of America and the communist camp led by the Soviet Union. And the two camps were heavily armed. They each had nuclear arsenals capable of obliterating the world several times over. I remember looking back and studying history and seeing that small regional disputes in places like Cuba, Hungary, Egypt, and Berlin had the ability, the possibility of escalating into a world-annihilating event. When I was in grade four at River Glen Elementary School in Red Deer, Alberta, our teacher, Mr. Falk, one day, instead of doing a fire drill, he did a nuclear war drill. We found that somewhat disconcerting. I remember the next day our science teacher told us that if the nuclear war ever broke out, that the entire world would be obliterated except for cockroaches and mosquitoes, which didn't make me feel a lot better. A couple days later, we asked Mr. Falk about it, and he said, it's all good, it should never be a problem. It will probably never happen. We said, why? He said something called MAD. We said, MAD? He said, MAD. M-A-D, Mutually Assured Destruction. He said, so here's the thing, like, 
before any one of them slips and pushes that button, they're probably not gonna do it because they're gonna realize that if they do, the entire world is up in smoke. That also didn't make me feel a lot better. A few years later, there was a movie that came out on TV called The Day After. The Day After, and it was a story of what happened the day after a world-altering thermonuclear war. Now, I cannot tell you what happened in the movie the day after, because unlike almost everybody I knew, I did not watch it. I did not watch the show. The advertisements were enough to scare me. They started out with subtle advertisements. I found that kind of chilling, actually. And then they just went out to uh, flat-out terrifying for the next one. And I'm like, no, I think I'll watch Magnum P.I. instead. And then suddenly, in 1991, Cold War ended the Soviet Union dissolved. And the pundits and the philosophers and the professors around the world said, surely now we will see peace on earth. And yet here we stand some 30 years later, and I gotta tell you honestly, I don't see it. A few years ago I went to a counselor and he did this thing on me called neurofeedback, neurofeedback. He hooked up these suction cups to my head and had me sit down and watch an episode of The Office, which I thought was pretty awesome. You know, meeting with a counselor, I don't have to share my deepest, darkest uh, dreams or I don't need to talk about my feelings. I can just watch an episode of The Office. So I did that. And the next time I came in to see him, about a month later, he had the little printout for me of the neurofeedback. He said, here. I said, what? It was just waves, you know? And I'm like, cool. He said, well, there's one thing that I want to draw your attention to. And he pointed to the very top of the graph. I said... The, the box? Or you want to point my attention to the box? He's like, no, that top line there, that's a wave. I'm like, it doesn't look very wavy. It's just a straight horizontal line. That's not a wave. He's like, oh yeah, that's your wave. I said, what wave is that? He said, that's high beta. I said, what's high beta? He said, well, that's adrenaline. That's fight, flight, or freeze. I said, well, why isn't it waving? It's just a line. He said, yeah, it's maxed out. It's red line. It's always there. It's flat out. I said, that doesn't sound very good. He said, it's not great. <laughs> it's not great. And as I was preparing for today, it hit me. Our whole culture is redlined on high beta. Fight, flight, or freeze. Fight. 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 During the Cold War, we had two camps. How many camps do we have now? Can you count? I can't, they're countless. Millions and millions and millions of camps in this cancel culture that we live in. Camp after camp after camp after camp. We have generational camps where generations despise one another. Gen Zs are flaky. Boomers are out of touch. Millennials are lazy. Gen Xers are superficial. Camp after camp after camp after camp. Liberals and conservatives, modernists and traditionalists, uh, vaxxers and anti-vaxxers, maskers and anti-maskers, and I could go on and on and on and on and on and on with all the camps until it would almost seem funny, except you wouldn't find it very funny, and neither would I, because we know what's behind all those camps. We understand. We've seen the families destroyed. We've seen the decades-long friendships destroyed. We've seen churches even destroyed through these camps. Fight, fight, 
fight. We got a culture maxed out on high beta. It's redlined. Fight. Flight. Flight is escape. Run away from my problems. You want to hear something crazy? After 40 years of decline, after four zero years of decline, binge drinking is making a comeback. It's on the rise again. Flight. 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 Escape. Illegal drug use is up. Overdoses are up. We had something in 2022 called the Great Resignation. The Great Resignation. The Great Resignation. Millions of people in the Western world quit their jobs. And for many of them, it was a really great idea. It was the pandemic gave them the ability to look back and go, I don't know if this is what I want to spend my life doing. And they quit, and that was great. But here at the end of 2022, we're seeing some of the results come back. For some people, they're going, I am so devastated. I quit my job, and I thought it would change my life. But here I am, new job, same me. New job, same me. New job, same me. We got a culture maxed out on high beta. Fight, flight, and freeze. The inability to put our thoughts into actions, freeze. Well, five years ago, we started hearing about this new term. The new term was called compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue is caused by the fact that we got a world full of heartbreak right in the palm of our hand. A world full of devastation right in the palm of our hand. On our phone is a world full of tragedy and trauma. And what's happened is for millions of people, they've become, they've become unable to be sympathetic or empathetic even to those who are hurting right around them. They become unable to act with compassionate kindness to those who are hurting even right around them. And, and so we have millions of people in our culture that the most that they can do is, is send out social media posts aligning themselves to some cause or another, not because they really care about the cause, but because they really want to be seen to care about the cause. Or post after post after post after post that says this, thoughts and prayers and 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 thoughts and prayers, but nothing else. We're in a culture where our high beta is maxed out. Fight, flight, or freeze. And I've been thinking a lot about it. Peace on earth. And it hit me. You know where peace on earth starts? Peace in here. And that's what I want to talk about today. Let's pray. Dear God, we lean forward into this spectacular moment. We lean forward with a sense of faith knowing that you've gone before us. God, we lock in. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand. Father, that your plan for us is not chaos. It's not terror. It's not panic. It's not fear. It's not anxiety. Your plan for us is peace. I pray today, for many of us, we would start a journey or continue a journey away from panic and towards peace. Pray this in your name, amen. So that's what I wanna do today. I wanna ask us to lean forward with a sense of faith, understanding that in this spectacular moment, God has gone before us and he has a plan. And I wanna ask for that we lock in, that we focus. And I know Leah talks about it all the time, but 
man, if you can make sure your phones are silenced, if you can stick around to the end of the service, I think that's important. Because I think we live in a high beta red line culture where fight, flight, and freeze has become the norm. And I believe that God wants you and me to be reminded today that peace on earth starts with peace in here. And I want to give you three G's today, three G's, easy to remember, I hope, three G's that will help us to find peace in here. The first G is gospel. Gospel. The word gospel means good news, good news, good news, good news. And the good news of the gospel, one way to summarize it would be this, that Jesus does for you and does for me what we could never do for ourselves. That Jesus does for you and me what we could never do for ourselves. That's the gospel. Jesus does for me and you what we could never do for ourselves. You see it in this story. Jesus motions out to these 20,000 people who are hungry and says, feed them, Phil. Feed them, Phil. And Philip says, I can't. Jesus, it would cost in our currency today about $40,000 to give everybody here like a bite of food. It would cost 120 G's to feed everybody a decent meal. We don't have $40,000. We most certainly do not have $120,000. Jesus, I can't. And we see here in the fourth of the seven signs found in the Gospel of John that Jesus wants to show Philip and wants to show you and me that he does for us what we could never do for ourselves. Like you and me were created to live in this unbroken, empowering, saving relationship with our Father in heaven, with God. And God is perfect. And God is holy and God is sinless and therefore cannot relate to imperfection, cannot relate to sin, cannot relate to unholiness. Well, that's an issue for me because I'm not perfect. And I am most definitely not sinless and I am not completely and totally holy. And that's why Jesus came to do for me, to do for you what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. And he died on the cross, and theologians say that when Jesus died on the cross, he performed for you and me what's called the beautiful exchange. So Jesus on the cross says this, give me your wrong, and I'll give you all my right. Give me all your imperfection, and I'll give you my perfection. Give me all your darkness, and I'll give you my light. Give me all your sin, and your shame, and your baggage, and your regret, and I'll give you forgiveness. Jesus did for you and me what we could never do for ourselves because then he defeated death. He rose again on the third day. And he came to give you and me what's called eternal life. I want you to think about that just for a second. Eternal life. When does eternal life start? It's supposed to start right now. Like real life. Abundant life. A life worth living. Not a life of chaos. Not a life of panic, not a life of anxiety, but actually a life of peace. So I want to suggest to you that sometimes we get the big picture pretty clear. Like, Jesus saved me, I never could have done that for myself. But do we get it in the day-to-day? The rock star Prince once said, I've been to the mountaintop. I've been to the mountaintop. There's nothing there. What an incredible point. I've been to the mountaintop, there's nothing there. See, what I think happens to you and me from time to time is we start climbing mountains of our own making. 
mountains of our own design, and we think to ourselves, surely I am going to find at the top of this mountain that I am climbing in my own strength a life worth living. Surely I'm going to find peace through pleasure, through sex, through money, through popularity, through whatever it is. And we get to the mountaintop, and like Prince, we go, oh, wait, there's nothing there. And so we're reminded again, wait a minute. Jesus does for me, Jesus can do for me what I could never do for myself. One of the titles given to Jesus in the Bible is living water. Living water. Jesus says, you know what? I've come to quench your thirsty soul. All the mountains of your own making that you climb, all the things that you try to give yourself a life worth living aren't gonna work. But here I am, come to me. Come to me if you're thirsty. Come to me if you're exhausted. Come to me if you're scared. Come to me if you're panicked. And I will quench your thirsty soul. It's interesting because sometimes we want people to bring us peace. It's a real sad story, you know? Because we live in a culture that's locked in on redlined high beta. Fight, flight, or freeze. Fight, flight, or freeze. I want you to think about it because when you get to a place of anxiety and chaos and panic in your life, you got a whole world full of people standing here doing this. I just want someone to love me. I just want someone to understand me. You get it? Because right beside them, listen, right beside them is someone saying what? I just want someone to love me. I just want someone to understand me. And right beside them is someone standing over here. And you know what they're saying? I am so anxious. I just want someone to love me. I just want, why does no one understand me? Why does no one offer me unconditional love? And right beside them is somebody saying, I just want someone to love me. I just want someone to understand me. And it's not our fault. We're in a high beta maxed out culture. Of course that's how we feel. Of course that's how we think. And Jesus says, you can't do this on your own. You know, they talk about how you can be lonely in the midst of a crowd. This is why. We desperately want someone else to do for us what they are incapable of doing. They can't. And so Jesus says, why don't you let me love you? Why don't you accept my unconditional love? Why why don't you accept my love and my understanding, no strings attached. And when we accept his love, when we slowly, slowly, slowly come to understand how much God loves us, guess what happens? We understand that we're loved. And next thing you know, next thing you know, even in a high beta red line world, next thing you know, we can look to the person beside us and say, hey, how can I love you? How can I understand you? See, I think we get it in the big picture. But I think you and I need to understand every step we take, every moment, every day, we need to know that he does for us. He is doing for us. He can do for us what we could never, ever do on our own. See, in a maxed out high beta world, peace on earth starts with peace in here. 
three G's. The first G is the gospel, understanding that Jesus does for us what we could never do for ourselves. The second G is gratitude. Gratitude. Man, I love this little boy. We're gonna talk a lot more about him Friday and Saturday. I love this little boy. Jesus says, feed him, Phil, and Philip has a panic attack. You know, like, we can't. Like, we are, we are going to go into debt. I don't have a credit card, you know? Like, it, this is not gonna work. I'm in trouble. And you can't tell me, listen, you can't tell me that of all the people that overheard that conversation, only this one little boy overheard it. But one little boy came up and said, um, I got five small barley loaves and two sardines. You understand, right? Please understand that in this context, in this culture, that was lunch for the poorest of the poorest of the poorest of the poorest of the poor. And Jesus took the five small barley loaves and the two sardines, and what's the first thing he did? He gave thanks. Gratitude, a change of perspective changes everything. A change of perspective changes everything. You, you want to know why so many of us are in a state of panic, a state of fear, a state of anxiety, a state of chaos? It actually comes down to a sense of ingratitude. Psychologists will tell you that the number one contributing factor to a happy life is gratitude. The number one contributor, contributing factor to an unhappy life is ingratitude. Ingratitude is pretty ugly because what happens is when you are ungrateful with what you have, Next thing you know, you start looking at what other people have. And you say, I want to be just like him, but just a little bit more. I want to have what they have, but just a little bit more. I want to do what they do, but just a little bit more. And it leads to something called jealousy. And jealousy is super ugly because jealousy might actually bring you to a point, if left unchecked, jealousy might bring you to a point where you all actually start to cheer against other people, that you wish them ill. That's ugly. Gratitude destroys jealousy. Immediately. When you are grateful for what you have, you actually come to the point in your life when you can celebrate other people. You can cheer them on. You can be pleased with their successes. So I think it's important you and I know that one of the steps towards peace in here is to practice Practice gratitude. I use that term intentionally. Practice gratitude. You got to practice it. I talked to you last week. I got a lot of faith, but sometimes I like I lack gratitude. I don't struggle with faith, but sometimes I struggle with gratitude. So every morning, I start my day. I read my Bible. I do my devotions, and then I pray. And the first thing I pray about every single morning is I review my last 24 hours, and then I go through all the things that I am grateful for in my life. Man, you'd be surprised how many things you can come up with. And my plan is that if I practice it first thing in the morning, then maybe later on in the day, I'll become a little bit quicker, a little bit quicker to get it because I have this theory and it goes like this. If you look around the world for something to complain about, you're never gonna run out. You get that, right? Like if you have perspective to complain, you can look around the world and you will never run out of things to complain about. But if you look around the world to, for something to be grateful for, you will never run out. In this high beta world, peace on earth starts with peace 
in here. 3Gs, number one, the gospel. Understanding, really understanding that Jesus does for you, does for me what we could never do for ourselves. Second, gratitude. A change of perspective actually changes everything. And the third G, generosity. <laughs> Some of you are looking at me going, oh, that's really festive, Mike. You're gonna talk about finances. You're gonna talk about money. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> um, yeah, I get it. Oh, it's worse than that. I'm gonna talk about giving money to the church. <laughs> but, but, before you get mad at me, I'm gonna make it better. So you think I'm not manipulating you or trying to, trying, you know, trying to end this sermon off with some sort of a, a uh, you know, bait and switch? I'll tell you this. I'm gonna talk to you about generosity because I think there's a massive relationship between our resources and our sense of peace, okay? But just so that you don't think I'm pulling a bait and switch, I'm not kidding. You're gonna think I'm joking, I'm not. I'm gonna try to convince you to be generous when it comes to the church. But if you think I'm pulling a bait and switch, this week email me and I'll give you another church that you can give to. No, there's some amazing churches in this city. There's some amazing churches in this valley and I would love for you to give to them if you think I'm pulling a bait and switch because I think you'll be blessed. Out of all the people there that day, one little kid, He's the only one that says, well, I don't have a lot, but I can do something. Huh. Generosity. See, there's just two things I want to say about generosity. I want to talk about the fact that we just need to do what we can do. That's all. Just do what you can do. That's it. And secondly, and then watch God do what only he can do. Just do what you can do. And then watch God do what only he can do. Just do what you can do. And then watch God do what only he can do. Just do what you can do. Every once in a while, I'll have somebody come up to me and say, what is it about Southside Church? <laughs> you know, you're so generous. I was listening to Leah say we gave $570,000 away last year. Man, I wanna hit a million. Let's go, let's get going. You know what I mean? Let's go. And they say, like, why, why are you so generous? Like, why, why is Southside the kind of church that instead of saying, hey, let's stay safe within our four walls, why are we this into the darkness we go, church? Into the darkness we go. Into the darkness we go. Why, why is your culture like that? Why is your DNA like that? And I don't know. It's hard to explain culture and DNA. But I got one little theory, and it goes back to when I transitioned from the role of youth pastor to lead pastor at this church. So when I made the transition from youth pastor to lead pastor, we had a major transition in the people who were attending Southside. Listen to this. Over the course of my first year as lead pastor, we went from an attendance of 400 to an attendance of 400. You're like, that's not a transition. Oh, yeah, yeah it was, though, because there was almost no relationship. The, like, these 400 were completely different from these 400. And a lot of the old people, older why, you know, a lot, a lot of the older people left and, and, and re were replaced by all these young punks, you know? And the church started to grow. And I remember a few years later, every year we get an independent audit of our finances. And this guy that was auditing sat down with the lady who did our finances back then, Sandy. And he says to her, he says to Sandy, I've never seen a church like this. I've never heard of a church like this. This is insane. She said, what do you mean? She said, I, he said, I've never seen a church where so much of the giving comes from such young punks. He, I don't think he said punks. Young people, young men and young women. Well, that didn't surprise me at all. Because remember I said we went for 400 to 400? Like so many of these 400 
were all of my youth leaders from when I was a youth pastor, like these 19, 20, 21-year-old punks. And some of them were youth that were grade 10, grade 11, grade 12. And, and they didn't have a lot, but they just gave what they had, you know? They gave what they could. Just do what you can do. And that didn't surprise me at all because we had like done life together, you know? We had studied stories in the Bible like this. Have you really thought about this story? Like, what did Jesus do for these people? Well, first of all, he preached, didn't he? He preached spiritual hope, spiritual hope, spiritual hope. He preached to them, and then what did he do? He fed them tangible help, spiritual hope, and tangible help, spiritual hope, and tangible help. That's what the church does. I remember the first sermon I ever preached as youth pastor at Southside Church. I preached out of the text, Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus sees you and me on the other side of eternity, and he says this, hey, thanks. Huh? Oh yeah, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison or sick and you came to visit me. And we're going to look at Jesus and say, well, thank you so much, but when did we ever see you hungry? When did we ever see you thirsty? When did we ever see you a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And he's going to look at you. He's going to look at me and he'll say, I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, whatever you did for the widows and the orphans, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. Someone asked Mother Teresa once, they said, how can you do it month after month, year after year, working with these people on the streets of Calcutta, India, the poor and the sick, the crippled, the disfigured, and the dying. How can you do it? And she said, oh, that's easy. She said, when I look at the poor, when I look at the sick, when I look at the crippled, when I look at the disfigured, and I look at the dying, I don't see them. I see, listen to this, I see Jesus in distressing disguise. Just do what you can do. That's it. There's this powerful relationship between our resources and our sense of peace. Just do what you can do. I think it's hard because it would have been easy for that little boy that day to go, well, at least I got a lunch. Like, what, what's this going to do among 20,000 people? I think you and me, we get that feeling a lot. The need is too large, so I'm not going to give. The job is too big, so I'm not going to serve. Maybe even as we move into this week, Right? Man, I feel like I need to invite these people to the Christmas services, but they're probably going to say no. That's a temptation I feel. Or how about this? My marriage is like bad. My marriage is bad, so why would I even work on it? Because when, when, when we just do what we can do, when we are generous with our time, when we are generous with our talents, when we are generous with our effort, and when we are generous with our resources, we just do what we can do, and then we stand back, and we watch God do what only he can do. Think about this. I don't know why I'm clapping right now, but I am. Could Jesus have fed the 20,000 people without the kid? 
Yes. He could have fed the 20,000 people without the five small barley loaves and the two sardines. Yes, he could have. Could Jesus have fed the 20,000 people without the help of the disciples? Hey, you guys pass these out and then you collect the leftovers. Yes, he could have. So why did Jesus involve his disciples? Why did he involve that little boy? Because Jesus loves that little boy. It was an act of kindness. Jesus says, you know, hey kid, hey kid, hey kid, watch this. Spoiler alert for the Christmas services, by the way, I know where the 12 baskets of leftovers went when the whole thing was over. The little kid took them home. But it's amazing to watch God work in that exponential fashion. When we just do what we can do and then God shows up and, and, and we see lives altered, we see marriages saved, we see eternities shaped, we see families reunited. Why in the world would God want to involve your generosity or my generosity? Oh, because he's kind. He really, really loves you. That's why. We just do what we can do and then we watch how God shows up and does what only he can do. In the world and in our life. I've talked before about I call it the, ups, the upside-down reality of the open-handed life. The upside-down reality of the open-handed life. Jesus expressed it this way. The upside-down reality of the open-handed life. Jesus expressed it this way. He said this. If you want to find a life worth living, lose yourself. Huh. Isn't it funny how we say things? that are so absolutely revolutionary, we say this around this time of year. We say this. Listen, we actually say, say this out loud. You've probably said this out loud. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's revolutionary. That's countercultural. Do we really believe that? Yeah, I do. I do. Because we just do what we can do, and then we watch God show up and do what only he can do. You know, it's funny, all those punks the new 400, the youth leaders and the, and the youth, almost all of them are still here. I'm gonna start holding them on stage to tell their stories. But it'll kind of feel like bragging sometimes. Because as, as they've done what they can do, they've watched God show up again and again and again and again and again and do what only he could do. My wife, Corinne, said it this way once. She said, God will bless you in ways that money can buy and in ways that money can't buy. Peace on earth. It starts with peace in here. When you live a generous life, you know one of the gifts that God gives you? When you just do what you can do, you know one of the gifts he gives you? He gives you this gift called contentment. Talk about countercultural contentment. In a high beta world, contentment. One of the most famous verses in the Bible is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I love it. I love it. Basketball players write it on their shoes. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's awesome. But we should probably note that the entire context of that verse is all about contentment. Because if I go back to Philippians 4.12, the Apostle Paul was inspired by God to say this. I've found the secret of being content in all situations. 
being well-fed or hungry, having a little or having a lot. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When you trust him, when you trust him, when you live a generous life, when you do what you can do, he shows up and he does what only he can do. One of the things that he'll do for you is he'll give you a sense of contentment. I was reading a study the other day. It said this, um, generous people aren't bitter. It's interesting, isn't it? Generous people aren't bitter. And bitterness is like a terrible way to live. Bitterness is when you're like desperately clinging to the pain of your past. Desperately clinging to the pain of your past so that you can't take hold of the beauty of today. You can't take hold of the opportunities tomorrow. Why? Because you're desperately clinging to the pain, the pain of your past. But generous people aren't bitter. Isn't that amazing? See, it's not just me. It's not just me with a high beta. It's the whole world. It's the whole world. And in this high beta, red line, the band is here, so they're basically telling me to shut up. So I will do so. In this maxed out high beta world, peace on earth starts with peace in here. Three steps, listen, three steps. Step one, it's just the gospel. Believe it, believe it. Jesus wants to do for you today, today, what you can't do for yourself. Second, gratitude. Change of perspective changes everything. And thirdly, generosity. It's really simple. Just do what you can do. Just do what you can do and watch God show up and do what only he can do. A few years ago, Leah wrote a song called Peace Came Down. It's a Christmas song, but it's also a song perfect for today. So I asked the band to play it. I would ask you further, you honorary Albertans, you that made it out in the great blizzard of 2022, I would ask you, I would ask you to stick around to the end. Because we're going to talk about peace, right? And maybe you got this whole peace thing pinned. Anxiety and fear and panic and chaos is not an issue for you. Could you stick around, please, and pray for those of us who, who do need a little bit of help in this area? And when I come back on after the band plays, I want to give you an opportunity. Remember the first part? It said, we know that Jesus does for us what we can't do for ourselves. So I want to come back up. And for those of you who have never accepted the gift of salvation that Jesus accomplished through his life, his death, and his resurrection, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to take that step, the first step towards peace when the band is done. Why don't you stand up? Our staggered spirit bent And the valley walls block out the light And another day seems like A thousand more nights When the noonday sun still throws a shadow Should be joy eclipsed by sorrow When the warmest rays won't reach your skin 
bow our heads and close our eyes. As we close, peace on earth starts with peace in here. Peace inside starts with peace with God. Through our own efforts, impossible. Made possible through Jesus. He lived, he died, he rose again for you. Forgiveness of sins, strength for today, the power to change the promise of eternity, all made possible through Jesus. The first step towards peace is a step towards Jesus. And I wanna give you that opportunity right now if today is the day that you wanna accept what he did for you through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. You wanna just raise your hand right now, nice and high, because I wanna pray for you. Amazing, amazing. Online, you can do the exact same thing. It's awesome. For those of you your hands up, you can put your hands down. Let's pray together right now. Jesus, I come to you and I thank you that you did for me what I can't do for myself. On one hand, it's overwhelming to think of the things that I can't accomplish, but then I'm so grateful, so incredibly grateful because that's why you came. That's why a child was born. That's why you stepped into human history, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So today, Jesus, I ask that you would be my savior. Forgive my sins. Give me a fresh start. And I invite you to be my Lord, Jesus. That you would give me the strength to become everything that you created me to be. Today, tomorrow, and forever. And for all of us, Jesus, no matter how long we've been going to church, we thank you for today. We thank you for your peace. Jesus, I pray that instead of chaos, you would give us understanding. Instead of panic, that you would give us clarity. Instead of fear, that you would give us faith. Instead of anxiety, Jesus, we pray that you would give us anticipation, anticipation, anticipations, knowing that because of you, the best, the best, the best is always yet to come. We love you, we thank you in your name, amen. Let's celebrate. Hey, if you just raised your hand, whether you're online or in person, your next step would be just text the keyword life to 604-670-3040. We wanna celebrate with you. We wanna help you in any way that we can. Did I tell you we have Christmas services coming up? Did I tell you they're gonna be amazing? We'll see you then. Love you guys. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.